0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? You know, if, um, if you want things to be less required of you, in a lot of cases, you're better to go back to the law. Because under the law, you could be angry all day as long as you didn't actually kill your brother, you weren't guilty of murder. Under grace, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, God says in your heart, you're already a murderer. Under the law, you could see a woman and find her attractive and want to be with her all day long, but as long as you didn't actually sleep with her, you weren't an adulterer. But under grace, if you actually want to, You've committed adultery in your heart. Under the law, if you wanted to be blessed, all you had to do was give 10%. I believe under grace, if you want to be blessed, it's all got to be His, every bit. Otherwise, it would be the first time that less was required of us under grace than under the law. And so, um, I just pray that as a house, we would understand why Paul said that God loves a cheerful giver. That every man should give as he's purposed in his heart, not begrudgingly, but cheerfully. And understand that if, if God's calling us to a place of giving first fruits to Him, which is, from the beginning of the earth to the end of the earth. There's a place where we can do it now under grace with a joyful heart rather than with a begrudging heart. Under the law, all you had to do is make sure you gave. It didn't matter what the condition of your heart is. You could be angry and holding on to it till they dragged it from your hands, but as long as you gave, you were blessed. Under grace, there's a place that He wants in our heart where we actually give cheerfully because we want to. And so... When people talk about money in church and people talk about giving, if there's something that grips your heart and something that makes you want to resist it, or something that makes you angry towards it or something that makes you think they just want my money or or any of those things, then I would encourage you to just get alone with God and ask Him to change your heart. And ask Him to give you the revelation that that He wants so that actually there's a cheerfulness in your heart to give so that it's a delight and not not a, a burden. that you actually are excited about doing it because if that's what he desires then the ability to be that way is always there available to us and i'm thankful that you guys are so generous and i'm thankful that we have so many cheerful generous givers here um uh, we actually oh nice um we actually recently just we we preached about being debt-free here at this church so i just want to give you guys an update real quick then we'll get into the message um We recently, um, when we took this church over, it had stuff tied to it. Uh, One of the things that was tied to it was a house, and it helped us secure the mortgage because we were a brand new church and because the finances were kind of a mess, and because we honestly didn't know how we were going to pay our bills every month, the bank wasn't sure either. And so they made us keep the house connected to the mortgage on the church um, until recently. They allowed us to be released from it to where we could actually sell it, so we sold the the house that was attached to the mortgage and we were able to apply that directly to our debt along with the extra that had built up in the account um over the over this past year from you guys giving and I'm really really happy to say we started with $390,000 in debt when we started as a church um we now have paid that down to $115,000 and we yeah and and I'm excited about that yeah And we have an uh, a, a operating account and what we've de- determined to do amongst the elders and I, we've decided that every month we're going to write a check for anything excess o- that we have over that amount in our operating account directly to the mortgage to pay the church off to be debt free as fast as possible so that we're actually living out what we're preaching. So that we're not preaching one thing and doing another. You know, Jesus got so angry with the Pharisees for that. He said, you guys, listen, people, if they would just do what you said, they would be great. He told people, he said, do what they say, but don't follow what they do. And what, what a like tragedy it would be if Jesus was to say that about his church on the earth today. If he was to look at his church and literally say, listen, if you do what they're saying, you'll be fine. But don't do what they do. I mean, I want it to be the other way around where Jesus looks at him and says, look, everything they say may not be the... They were a little hot. <laughs> That's Merle back there in the sound booth. We're getting some kinks worked out. We had to re-EQ a bunch of stuff and change some stuff. So just bear with us over the next, you know, the coming weeks as we're trying to find our our, our way with with levels and stuff like that. But but wouldn't it be a shame, you know, what I would rather them say is, listen, they may not have their theology perfect in what they say. Like you can ask them a question and sometimes they'll look at you like the man that got cured of blindness and say, look, I don't know who he is. And I don't know how, all I know is this, I once was blind and now I can see. I would way rather be a church that people look at and say, you know, I asked them in, in about what they thought about this or what they thought about that and they couldn't remember the exact scripture and all that. You know what, I would way rather that, not that I'd want us to be ignorant of scripture, but I would much rather have us not have an answer on our lips for everything, but have an answer for everything in the way that we live our lives. That Jesus could look at us and say, you know, I don't know about everything that they say because sometimes when they say stuff, I'm not sure exactly what I know about this or that. or you know, I'm, I'm just not sure. And they don't get into theological debates and they don't do this kind of stuff. That's okay. None of them have seminary degrees and, and I can't find on, plaques on the wall that tell us what they did and where they learned all this stuff. But one thing I can say is I've watched their lives and I've seen this. It looks like Jesus. That's what I want. That's what we, who we want to be as a body. I'm not saying don't study. I love studying the Word. I study the Word constantly. In fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, when we had to when we canceled church because of the weather, someone texted me and said, "Is it nice to have the weekend off?" And I said, "Well, I'm not really feeling great, so I can't enjoy the snow." And they said, "No, I just mean to be able to relax and not, you know, have to worry about preparing a message." And 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 they said it with a good heart, you know, that, like this isn't to shame them in the least. You know, they were just thinking, "Oh, it must be fun just to relax." And and I said, "Man, I'll be honest with you, like." I spend time with him all week so that I have something inside of me, and I love the time on Saturday nights that I've carved out to spend with him and see what he wants me to say on Sunday morning. To just put, I love that, okay? So I'm not saying at all that we shouldn't be diligently studying the Word, that we shouldn't have an answer for things, but I am saying this, if we're only going to be able to answer with one thing, let's let, it, let it be with our lives and not with our mouths. So that if anyone was to look at us, they would never say, Hey, you'll be great if you do what they say, but I wouldn't follow what they do. Well let's have it the other way. If it's gonna be one way or the other, let's have people say, Listen, I wouldn't ask them, you know, to quote off scripture and verse on every single thing, but if you look at their life, it looks a lot like Jesus. Yeah. And then as we grow in our knowledge of him and as we study the word, you know, we'll find ourselves having answers for more things. But I, there's just people that need to be able to see things, you know, like I was thinking about Elijah and Elisha. It's not my message for this morning, but I was thinking about that during worship. You know, it's like uh, Elijah has his servant with him and um, and and the, the king says, you know, there's there's something going on because every time we plot something against the Israelites... They're a step ahead of us. They know what we're going to do before we do it. And they said, oh king, it's because there is one who hears your words as if he was in your bedroom. He's Elijah the prophet of the God of Israel. And so he sent his army down. He said, go get him. Because he understood, if I can silence the one who sees and hears, then I can destroy the people. See, the enemy's always known that. That's why he's after the eyes of the seers and the mouth of the speakers. Is because he knows that if he can take the eyes and the mouth away from the church, that he can destroy the people. And so he said, go get him and bring him to me. So they send the army down and they surround Elijah. And Elijah sends his servant out and his servant goes out in the morning and he looks and he sees this huge army and he becomes terrified. And he runs back inside and he tells Elijah what's going on. And the, the, the thing that I love about this is Elijah never once prayed, God, send chariots of fire. Not one time. He didn't pray. He didn't panic. He wasn't gripped with fear. He looked at the servant, saw the fear in his eyes, and understood there's something he's not seeing or he wouldn't be able to be afraid the way he's afraid. God opened his eyes that he might see. And it says, "And suddenly the eyes of the servant were open, and he looked, and surrounding the army that surrounded them was chariots of fire, flaming swords with, uh, angels with flaming swords. And he said, "Many more are for us than are against us." See, I want us to be a people that walk, that are confident in the Lord to the point that when people are fearing, we don't have to pray for God to do something. We actually believe before we before they even come to us with the problem, we believe the answer is already there. And so we're not praying, oh God, would You do something? We're praying, God, would You open their eyes to what You've already done? God, not, not God would you do this or God would you do that, not out of fear and going, oh no, if God doesn't do something, we're in trouble, believing if it looks like trouble, there's something that we're not seeing. There has to be people that have their eyes open to truth that already believe and already see that God has provided a way before there's any, before they actually see something with their eyes. Otherwise, when people come to you in panic, the best you can do is hope that God does. I want to be like Elijah where I'm confident that God has. Where my prayer is, God, open their eyes to what you've already done. Not God, would you please do something. Because He said, everything that you need for life and godliness has been given to you freely through the knowledge of His Son. Everything that we need. Any situation you find yourself in, the answer has already been given. Um, so anyways, all that's kind of a little side note. That was a freebie. Well, do this real quick. Just hey, right where you are. Stand up real quick. I know, it's, it, the introverts hate it. It's okay, stand up right where you are. Come on, I promise there's no glue on the seat. Your butt is not stuck. If you stand up, it will come up. Everybody. Look at your rebellious people not standing up. Need some legalism in here or something. Now do this, real quickly, just look around. Believing that the Spirit of God is inside of you and that there's every chance that perhaps He wants to do something through you today. That you didn't come here like a baby bird with your mouth open hoping mom had a worm for you. That you actually came here containing the Spirit of the living God inside of you. And just find somebody that you don't know. Find somebody that stands out to you. Give them a hug. Give them a smile. Give them a friendly hello. And if God has something for them from you, give it to them. Whatever it is. If that's a word of encouragement or something like that, just go for it and be used by God for a minute and then we'll get back to the message. All right. All right. Okay. How many of you guys are going to a Super Bowl party today? How many? Raise your hands up if you're going to a Super Bowl party today. Alright, listen, we're going to teach on gluttony. Okay? Because it's it's for you. It's because I care about you. I'm just kidding. But we are going to finish up talking about, we started talking last week about the law. And we started talking about what Jesus said where He said, that until all is completed, the law shall not pass away until all is accomplished. And we talked about Jesus on the cross saying it is accomplished. It is finished. That same word there. And so, so what He was saying was basically, I have come. I have perfectly fulfilled the law. The need for man to perfectly fulfill the law was finished in Me when I gave My life on the cross. But yet the law doesn't pass away for us until we come to a place where, like him, we die to ourselves. We're buried in with Christ in baptism and raised again to newness of life. And we talked about that last week. If you weren't here, you can catch it online on the podcast. Um, So I want to just kind of finish up with that and talk about what does that look like for us. Um, So in 1 Timothy chapter five, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Um, If not, just find a good Christian near you. Look at their Bible. Or we'll have it on the overhead. How many of you guys use a, a paper Bible still? Look, that's awesome. I don't. I use a, um. I don't. I, I use my phone. I, I do have a paper one. I flip through sometimes, but I more find myself on my phone or on my computer um, when I'm reading and studying. But that's just me. So First Tim, Timothy chapter one verse five says. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious Gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You're more excited than we are for us to understand it and to get revelation from it. I ask today, Holy Spirit, as I speak, You'd speak through me. I pray that our ears would be open to hear truth, that our minds would be able to understand and that our hearts would receive this truth, that it would like a seed go in and produce fruit in our lives. God, that a world that does not know you, does not really know you, would taste the fruit of our lives as the truth continues to bear fruit and see that you're good and be drawn to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So here Paul's talking about the law. right? And he says, he says the law is good as long as it's used lawfully. And then he explains what a lawful use of that is. He says, not for those who are righteous but for the lawless, the rebellious, the ungodly, and sinners, unholy and profane. And he goes on and he lists all these different people. And he and he says, it's not for those who are righteous, but for those who are lawless, who are unrighteous, who are unholy, who are profane. And this verse is beautiful because as you read this verse, you can see all of the things that you're not when you're in Christ. Every single one of those words, because it says it's not for the righteous. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He didn't act sinful so that we could act righteous. He became sin so that we could become righteous. And when we've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it's no longer our righteousness that we stand on, but it's the righteousness in Christ manifest in us that is our righteousness. And so don't fall for the, well, you know, your righteousness is filthy rags. It was. That was why you had to exchange your righteousness for His so that you could stand before Him and He is able to present you spotless, blameless, upright, holy, and without blemish. That's who you are. And so he's saying, listen, the law is not for people who have become righteous through Christ, who are born again. The law was for people before they were born again and who are not born again to show them their need for a Savior to show them that their life could never measure up to the standard of holiness that was required in order to please God. And so he says, it's not for the unholy. I mean, I'm sorry, it's it's not for the righteous, but for the lawless and rebellious, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane. The beautiful thing about that is, is that if you're born again and no longer under the law and subject to the law of sin and death, then he is saying it's not for you because you are lawful, you're not rebellious. Because you're godly, not a sinner, you're holy and not profane. So you can take that verse and every one of the things that describes the law being for you can turn it around and realize that's who you are in Christ. And it has to be that way, right? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul's saying, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit, inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor feminine, nor, sexu- nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. This is the same thing he's echoing in Timothy. He's saying, listen, people are trying to teach you guys about the law and they have no idea what they're talking about. They confidently stand before you and say you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this and you have to do that and you can't just discard the law. And they were trying to teach these things and bring them back into subjection to the law because that was the power system with which they had power. And if people were out from under the law, suddenly the Pharisees lost their power and lost their grip. And they didn't want that to happen. And so they were trying to subject people back into the rules so that there was need for them again and saying, listen, you guys, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're happy that you've found Christ We're happy that you have this, the Messiah and that you believe that He's the Messiah. But you know you still have to do this. That's what was going on in the church of Galatia. They were coming to the Galatians and they were saying, listen, it's all well and good that you've accepted this Christ as your Savior, but you know you still have to be circumcised. You know, there's still things you have to do in order to be holy, in order to be righteous. And if we're not careful, we'll subject ourselves to that stuff And we'll try to come up with this hybrid of Jesus and Moses. And we'll have this little blend that says, well, yeah, I know that He loves me and I know that I'm, good, I'm righteous because of Jesus, but I still have to do this and I still have to do that and I still have to do that. And we'll get into doing these things. And those things are all well and good, but they are not a means of our righteousness. And the problem becomes when we start to equate our righteousness with our good behavior rather than understanding that we're righteous because He said that we are and allowing our behavior to flow from that. You can never work your way into righteousness, but righteousness will always cause you to do more than you did before you were born again. Always. I've never seen someone who was truly born again and understood who they were in Christ that didn't live a life better on accident than they ever did on purpose when they were striving to become something that they weren't. This is the truth. Because your nature has changed. Because the spirit that's in you has changed. Because there's this exchange. That's why it's not just like saying this prayer. It's not just like, okay, I want to say a prayer so that when I die, I don't go to hell. We can't, we, that is a horrible thing to get people to say a prayer just because you've scared them into not wanting to go to hell when they die. Because they don't even understand what they're saying yes to. And if we make it all about what we're saying no to and not about what we're saying yes to, what we're saying is we are more impressed with the power of hell than the beauty of Jesus. What a shame that would be. Like if the best we can offer people is he's better than hell, how good does he have to be for that? No, it's like he's so good, he's so loving, he's so kind. His way of life, there's a peace that you would never understand until you have it because it passes understanding. And once you become born again, and once that peace of God comes, you'll know what I'm talking about, but you cannot understand it until you experience it. He's so much better than you thought. Life is so much better than you thought it could ever be. Because every single day when you wake up, you know why you're alive. And you're living for the purpose that you were created for. And that's what the law came to show us our need for that. And so now that the law has come, He said... He said um, the, that the goal of our instruction... Wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to do that because then I try to backtrack and make it all make sense. So, okay. So, so he says, such were some of you. So he's basically explaining, listen, you guys. You, you guys were these things. He says, but you were sanctified. Not you're being sanctified. That you were sanctified. That you were justified. Because the Spirit of God came. And there was this exchange, and you became a new creation. All things really did pass away, and everything really did become new. And the new creation is sanctified, justified, and filled with the Spirit of God. And he's saying, listen, those things aren't going to get in, and such were some of you. Now, he's not saying that because their behavior is perfect, because later on in the letter, he says, hey, why am I hearing about this stuff going on? Why are you acting like mere humans? He's reminding them of what He said earlier in the letter. He's saying, listen, you guys, this is who you were, and now I'm hearing that some of you are acting that way. But that's not who you are. See, He's reminding them, that's not who you are. Just because you acted that way does not mean that's who you are. Any more than acting righteous and acting holy could make you righteous and holy before you were born again. We can't have a double standard that says, well, there's not enough good that you can do to become holy but once you've been made holy by Him, there is bad that you can do that makes you unholy. That's double jeopardy. That's saying that you're danged if you do and you're danged if you don't because before you were born again, the best you could do is act like you were holy. But now that you are born again, the worst you can do is act like you're not. It's the truth. The best you could do before you were a new creation is act like you were one. That was the very best you could do and it took all of your effort, it took all of your striving, and the minute you stopped working at it, your natural default was to turn away from it. Now that you've become a new creation, the Spirit of the living God dwells inside of you, the worst you can do is act like you're not a new creation. Because it's an act. It's not who you are. And so, this is what Paul's telling them. This is why you have to understand that the law was good for people who were living for themselves and who were not born again. But once you became born again, the law no longer was necessary for you because rather than a list of rules out here, you have a spirit of God in here. Rather than God being out there and trying to figure out, have you ever tried to figure out if something's a sin? Like, literally, how many of you guys have ever asked, like, like you, come on, be honest. Like, if you can't be honest in here, where will you be? And He knows anyways. <laughs> Just use a little bit of scare. You know what I'm saying? Keep a little bit. No, really though, how many of you guys have ever thought about doing something and then started warring within yourself trying to figure out if it was a sin or not? Okay. If you ever have that discussion going on, run. Run. Because even if it's not a sin in your heart, you're not convinced that it's not something that Jesus died on a cross and gave his life for you to be set free from. It's probably not his best. That's like the rules are like the lowest form of relationship. They require no relationship. All they require is that you fear the consequence enough that you want to obey the rule. It's the lowest form of relationship. Once you, like, like when you when you run into a police officer and you're speeding, you don't have to know him. You don't have to think that he loves you. You don't have to believe that he has your best interest in mind. But you do have to be afraid when you see blue lights behind you of the consequence if you don't stop. And because of that fear, you will stop. Not because you love him. Not because you want to. But because you're afraid of the consequence. That's the lowest form of relationship there is. If you have to tell your wife or your husband before they leave, honey, you know, you can't cheat on me because you promised you wouldn't. And you know that if you do, there's going to be consequences. If that's the reason that they're not, you don't have a relationship. If the reason you're not doing the things you're not doing are because you think God's gonna punish you for it, then I would say that you probably need to spend some time with Him and get to know Him and see the beauty of Jesus because it's a whole lot better to be drawn forward by His beauty than to be chased by the consequence of what's behind you. The children of Israel had that problem. We talked about this, right? Like That was their problem. They weren't being drawn by what was ahead of them. They didn't understand how good Canaan was. They didn't believe in their hearts that God was really able to bring them into a place that was so close to paradise on earth that they couldn't even imagine it that they had to carry the grapevines between them on poles. They didn't believe because there was giants in the land and because of what they'd experienced and because they'd lived like slaves and they'd adopted a slave mentality. They couldn't believe that what was in front of them was so great. So the only reason they were fleeing was because because what was behind them was so bad. The problem is, is that you can only run from what's behind you for so long before you stop running, you start looking back, and all you remember is the good and you forget about the reason you ran in the first place. If there's not something that's drawing you forward, you will always run out of momentum if all you're doing is fleeing the bad that's behind you. You see it with people. How many of you guys know, know people or, or, or in your own life have fallen into something And the disgust and the hatred for what you've done propels you away from it for a time. But listen to me, if you're not being drawn forward, convinced that life without that and with Him is better, you'll only run for so long and then pretty soon, there will be something inside you that starts wanting to look back and remember the fun, the good. And you'll find yourself doing it again. And then you'll repeat the cycle of fleeing only for so long. There has to be something drawing you. To the point that the children of Israel look back to the land of slavery and bondage and abuse and torture and murder and look back and say, didn't we have garlic and lemons back there? Was it not better for us in Egypt? Think about it. You can only run from that for so long before you stop running. There has to be something drawing you. Moses never wanted to go back. Why? Because Moses was convinced of what lied ahead. That's what Paul was talking about. He said, forgetting what lies behind. Why? Because I don't want to be the reason that I'm going forward to be what's behind me. I don't want to run because I'm scared of what's behind me. I want to forget what's behind me and pressing forward, looking forward, I grab a hold of what is in front of me and I press on to receive the promise that I've got from Him. That's what's drawing me. It's not what's behind me. I'm to a place where I don't even want to remember the stuff that was propelling me from behind because that's no longer the fuel for my walk in life. I don't get up every day and hope I don't do what I did yesterday. I get up every day and hope that today is full of Him and I believe that it will be and I walk into the day expecting to see His goodness, not hoping I see the enemy's evil. Otherwise, it doesn't matter if I don't sin all day long. I'm focused on sin. All day long I'm focused on not doing something I don't want to do. And at the end of the day, what held my attention and the thing that I worshipped was sin, was evil, was not good. And that can only last for so long before I'll fall back into the thing that I'm afraid of. That's what Job was talking about. He said, that which I feared the most has come upon me. Why? Because Job wasn't trusting what was in front of him. He was fearing what might be coming behind him. Listen, okay? if if you've been coming here at all, you know this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Ends with this. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The only thing that's chasing you if you're born again and following after Jesus and He's your shepherd is goodness and mercy. If you hear something behind you, you don't have to worry. You don't even have to look. You can just know this. It's just goodness and mercy. It's coming to catch me. It's going to overwhelm me. And one of these days, I'm going to stop and turn around and it's going to be right in my face. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know it's good and I know it's full of His mercy because they're following me all the days of my life. And I'm dwelling in His house forever. If if someone sold you Christianity that is simply you don't want to go to hell, then, then thank God... That, that your eyes were open to the fact that there is a hell, but I, but I promise you there's something so much greater than, than a promise of not going to hell, and that's actually having the experience of living with the living God inside of you here on earth and knowing that from this day forward, I will never die because true life began this day. This is eternal life, that they would know you and believe in the one true Son who you sent. That's eternal life. That I can actually live from this day forward knowing that from this day forward, I'm never going to die. One day I'm going to leave this earth and what, will, what is for real and what is actually real will be what I actually see with my physical eyes. I'm going to leave this earth. I'm going to enter into eternity. And God's going to honor my choice that I made on earth for eternity. That's all separation from Him is. He guys understand. People are like, well, how could a, will, a loving God send people to hell? A loving God doesn't send people to hell. A loving God sent His only Son so that they would never have to spend eternity separated from them. But He honors our choice and He honors our will and He will honor it for eternity and the choices that we make here on earth will be honored for all of eternity. He loves you that much. You know, it's really hard to let your children do something that's going to be painful for them, that they're going to learn something from, but a good parent will actually allow their children to feel the responsibility of their mistakes because if every time they make a mistake, you come along and fix it, you're not helping them, you're teaching them that whatever I do, mom and dad will come along behind and fix. That may seem really loving. Guess what? It's not. You know what it leads to? It leads to greater and greater levels of rebellion because they're never actually forced to face the consequence of their decision. See, we think love is, well, if God was loving, He'd just make everybody do this. No, if God was loving, He would actually love you enough to say, I love you enough to give you a choice because I want you to choose to love Me. And I'll honor your choice for eternity. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Why? Because He doesn't want them to spend eternity separated. He never did. That's why He made a way before His Son through the law, and He made a way through His Son forever. and, and, And the blood of Jesus now forever speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And where the blood of Abel cried out for justice, the blood of Jesus came and silenced the need for justice, fulfilled the need for justice, and now screams mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. That's a loving God. And so the choices we make now echo for eternity. And it's all because He's loving, not because He's not. (sighs) So now, Paul's writing in Galatians a little bit later in the letter. and He says, this is in chapter 5, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. This is what we were talking about. Where they came along to the church of Galatia and they said, listen, that's all good and, and we're, we're so happy to hear that you guys have found the Messiah and, and, and praise the Lord, brother. But there is one thing that you have to do still and you have to be circumcised. Why? Well, because if you don't, then you're unclean. And you have to be clean in order to be able to enter into eternity with Him. And so, you just just have to. Now, that's not a big deal when you're a baby and your parents make that decision for you for sanitary reasons or whatever. But it's a pretty big deal when you're a 40-year-old man and you've just received Christ and they come along and say, okay, There's like 17,000 reasons I'm glad I'm not a woman. But if you were alive back then, there was one big one that you wish you were. So Paul comes along and he, he hears that this is going on. No, we don't have the kids aren't in church today, are they? No? Okay. Oh, There's going to be some uncomfortable questions at lunch. <laughs> No, but I mean, whatever. But, 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 So Paul's writing this letter and he comes to addressing this stuff and he says, you guys received the Gospel that I preached to you. And now people are telling you this. I'm telling you that if you do that, Christ is of no benefit to you. What's he saying? He's saying you either believe in Jesus or you believe in the law, but you can't believe in both. You're either righteous and justified and sanctified because of the the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the regeneration of the Spirit of God within you, or you're justified by the law. And I'm telling you that if you take any part of the law as your justification, you have to take all of the law as your justification. And it's not just... See, here's the thing. It was easy to sell people on circumcision. Why? Because it was a one-time decision. It was a one-time thing. All you had to do was say, okay, out came the knife. Chop. You're done. It hurts. The pain goes away. And now you've done this thing. And Paul's saying, listen, the law is not just a one-time painless, painful thing that goes away. The law is forever. And if you subject yourself to one part of it, believe me, long after the pain of circumcision has ended, you're still required to subject yourself to every single bit of the law. Because if you're finding justification in circumcision, then you've stepped out from from underneath the covering of Jesus and you're saying that it's because of what you've done that you're okay. What you've done makes you justified and sanctified. And now you're required to keep every single bit of the law because there is no hybrid. It's one or the other. He says, you were set free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be subjected to yoke of slavery. What was the yoke of slavery? It was to sin and to the law. Because if you are a sinner, then you're under the slavery of the law, and you now have a master. And so he wrote in Romans, he said, Don't you know that you are slaves to that one which you present yourself to, whether to sin and unrighteousness or to, to righteousness in God? Saying, Look, you get to choose who you're a slave to, but you have to choose one or the other. And if you're living by the law, then what you're saying is is that you still are a lawless person, you're still in rebellion, and you still need an exterior source to tell you how to live your life. And if that's the case, okay. And if you judge yourself that way as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So if you believe that you're rebellious, unholy, and profane, and all the things that he listed off, you're unrighteous, and you have to follow a set of rules in order to be justified, But well, that's okay. And you can choose that. But if you do that, then your justification will be found there. In the law, and I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. That's why I said, if anybody comes preaching a gospel other than this gospel which we preach, I don't care if you, if an angel himself comes and preaches another gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I, Paul, preached. To you let him be cursed. Anybody preaching anything. But here comes the hook because oftentimes when we preach these messages people are like yeah woohoo because it seems like life is just easy then right like you just you just get born again and you get filled with the spirit of god and then you're not under the law anymore and you just kind of do whatever it is that you please well that's partially true if you're waking up every morning and you're submitting your life to him and you're walking after the spirit you will spend every single day doing what you want to do Because the Spirit of God will lead you and guide you into all truth, and your wants will line up with His wants. He said, I will give, if you delight yourself in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. If you delight in Him, the desires of your heart will come from Him. Not if you get up in the morning and say, God, I love you, give me an airplane. That's not what it is. We've, we've perverted it into that in some cases, but that's not what He was saying. He's saying, listen, if when you wake up in the morning, what you find delight in is me, I'll put my, I'll give you desires in your heart. I will give you the desires of your heart. And your heart will actually want to do the things that I want you to do because you're finding your delight in me. Because you're actually delighted that I'm with you. You're thinking of me. You set your mind on heavenly things. And now you're being led by the Spirit of God into all truth. And so what you do out of what you want lines up with what He wants because your delight's in Him. That's 100% true. The problem is is if you try to take the law and use it as an excuse to do things that you haven't died to yourself in and follow after the flesh all the while playing the grace card. That's where you get into hot water because now you've used the grace of God that sin might abound. Let it never be so. And that's where we have to understand this thing. That the law was created for people who are unholy, profane, and all those things. Grace is created for people who are not those things. Grace is created for people who are holy, righteous, not profane, not rebellious. You can't hold on to an old nature and try to live under a new law. It doesn't work. The law of grace is for those who are actually born again. Why? Because if you're living in the law of grace, that means the Spirit of God is living inside of you and you're following after His Spirit and not after the things that you once chased after. It's all in your Bible. Every single bit of it. Most of it you can find in Romans. So a little bit later in Galatians, after explaining this beautiful thing about being set free and all that stuff, he says this, he says in 5.13, he says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You want to know how free you are? This is how free you are. This is a good barometer of how free you are how much is the desire of your heart to actually love and serve other people? Not can I go do things that I used to think were wrong. Not can I drink up to a certain point and then it's drunkenness and now I have freedom so I know that I'm not going to go to hell. It's not about that. It's not about trying to find the line and walk it as closely as possible. It's this. This is how free you are. How willing am I to lay down my life to love and serve other people? That's the measure of freedom that you walk in. That's the best barometer for your freedom because it's the reason that you were set free. Why? Because before you were set free, you were born the first time into Adam. See, you were made to be love. You were created to be love. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, good conscience. So you were created to be love. And when you were born the first time into Adam, you still loved. But you loved the wrong thing. Sin came and you started to love yourself above God and above other people. And you began to live at the expense of others rather than for the blessing of others. That's what happened when you were born into Adam. You were born the first time into Adam. Every single person. It's why you don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. No one had to teach you to be selfish. One of the first words you learned as a toddler was mine. Why? Because you were born into Adam. You were born to love. The problem is the object of your love was yourself. It's why you had to be born again into Christ. And now, you're still born to love, but you have the right perspective for your love and your love is for God and for other people. And so if that's the case and you've been born again, you are so free from the law This is how free you are. In Acts chapter 16, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew his father was a Greek. So this is the same Paul that wrote that circumcision will be of no value to you. That Christ will be of no value to you if you get yourself circumcised. This is how free He actually is. This is how much He's done to Himself and alive for others. Timothy's born to a Greek father and a Jewish mother. Because of this, he wasn't circumcised on the eighth day like every other Jewish boy would have been. And because the Jews that Paul wanted to reach with the Gospel knew that his father was a Greek, they knew that he wasn't circumcised. And if he wasn't circumcised, he wouldn't be allowed to come into the temple. And if he couldn't go into the temple, he couldn't preach the Gospel and accompany Paul on the trip that he went on. So what did Paul do? He took Timothy and subjected him to the law to lay down his life to serve other people. You are so free from the law. The only thing that you have to worry about with the law is sometimes you may have to subject yourself to it so that you can reach others with the gospel because your freedom is not the highest thing in life. It's other people receiving the gospel because you're not alive for you. That's being set free. Paul said, listen, I'm so free from the law that if I have to, I'll subject myself to it if it means other people can be set free and other people aren't offended and other people can hear the Gospel from me. That's how free I am. That's true freedom. Not this rebellious spirit that we see that masquerades as freedom that goes around and flaunts the things that it can now do because it has an understanding of grace and it offends other people. And turns their ears off to the message of truth because they don't have the same revelation that you do. Paul addressed this specifically. First Corinthians chapter 8. Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought, know, ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, the concerning the things, the eating of things sacrificed to idols, We know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through Him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For though through your knowledge he who is for through, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. What's Paul saying? Paul saying, listen, you and I both know that there's no such thing as an idol. So people who take food And sacrifice it to idols, we're not worried that the food is dirty. Remember, Peter had the revelation what God has called clean, let no man call unholy. What God has purified, let no man. All things are clean. To the pure, all things are pure. We know that. But yet, there's people out there who don't have that revelation yet. And if they see you, who maybe they look up to, who maybe they think, when they see you, knows more about God's heart than they do because you walk in a level of joy or peace or you manifest the gift of the Spirit or something like that. And so for whatever reason, they look up to and they watch you. If they see you doing that, you may strengthen their conscience in in other words, they may think oh, well if He does it, I can do it. But because they don't have the revelation and the knowledge, they're having to violate what they believe in order to do something that you're doing. And even though what you're doing is right, and even no, it's not a sin. It is a sin for them because whatever is not done in faith is sin. So he's saying, listen to me. This is how free you are. You're so free that you could eat anything. And yet, you're so free that you're free from the need for freedom. That's truly free. You're not rebelliously saying, I can eat whatever I want because to the pure, all things are pure. You're looking around and saying, wait a minute, that guy over there, he doesn't quite have the revelation of of who he is in Christ yet. He still thinks it's not okay. I don't want to encourage him to do something until his conscience is okay with it because if he does it, even though it's okay for him to do, if he doesn't believe he is, he's condemned because he's violating his own conscience. And Paul said, because you did that, you sinned against Christ. Why? Because your freedom is never supposed to be a stumbling block for other people. You may have revelation on something. Listen, that's fine. In the privacy of your home and you're good with it with God and your conscience says this is good and you can do it as if unto the Lord, then enjoy it and be free in it. But I promise you, the minute you take that outside of your home and start flaunting it in front of other people who don't have the same revelation that you do, even if they do it because they think it has your approval, they'll be wrong for doing it and you'll be wrong for convincing them to because you're getting them to walk where their conviction doesn't lie. See, freedom is really freedom from self. Which means, I will sacrifice. And this is what Paul sums it up with. I'm just going to close it up with this. and This is what Paul's saying here. He says, listen, if that's what will happen if it will cause my brother to stumble for me to eat meat, he's not talking about all meat in general, he's talking about meat sacrificed to idols, the thing he started talking about to begin with. He says, listen, if it will cause my brother to stumble if I eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol, I will never again for the rest of my life eat meat because I'm so free from me that I'm free from my need to be free. And I can subject myself to that and lay down my life to see others pick theirs up. That's freedom because you're free from you. And my God is no longer me. And serving me and making me happy is no longer the goal of my life. But laying down what God has given me, my life, and sacrificing that to see others take theirs up, that's what matters to me. And I'm so free that if it means I have to go and be circumcised so that I can get into the temple so that you can hear my voice and hear truth and have your life changed, I'll subject myself to the law for your sake even though I'm free from it for my sake. There's a rebellion hidden in a lot of the message of freedom. And it's subtle. And it, and, it, and it basically values its personal freedom above seeing others set free. But Jesus said, if anyone among you wishes to be great, he must become the servant of all. Jesus was born free from the law. Why? Because He wasn't born of a man. He was born of the Holy Spirit. So the sin of Adam wasn't passed through into His body like it was for every other person because He wasn't born of a man. That's why God said in the garden, there is one coming who will be born the seed of a woman. He was born holy, blameless, upright, and perfect. Yet He submitted Himself to The law, for our sakes, even though He was free from the law and never had to subject Himself to it, He perfectly walked out and fulfilled the law on our behalf because He wasn't here to display His freedom. He was here to lay His life down to see us take ours up. And That's freedom. That's true freedom. That's saying, man, I'm so free from that law, I can subject myself to it if it means that you'll get to hear the words that come out of my mouth. I do find it funny that Paul was eager to offer up Timothy to be sacrificed. (laughs) Because (laughs) you don't see Timothy write about it. (laughs) But listen to me. I believe there was something in the way that Paul lived his life. That when he told Timothy, trust me, if you do this, many will be saved and many will be reached by the gospel. There was a purity in Paul's walk, and there was something in his life that even if Timothy didn't understand everything Paul said, he understood everything that he saw in the life of Paul and said, If you say it, I'll do it because I trust what I see in your life. That's freedom. Not an excuse, an occasion to the flesh. Why would you want that anyways? That's Egypt. Don't look back there. God, I thank You for that. I thank You for us understanding truly what freedom is. God, understand that we're free from ourselves, that You set us free for freedom from ourselves, not for ourselves. And that you didn't think it was worth it, Jesus, to only do things for people if you knew they were going to respond a certain way. But you believed that laying your life down was worth it, worth it even for the one that you knew was going to betray you. That Satan had entered into Judas's heart and you knew that he was the betrayer and you knelt on your feet in front of him and you washed his feet with a towel knowing that already evil intention was in his heart and that he had decided to betray you because you weren't doing it because of his response. You were doing it because it was who you are. God, I ask that that same love for other people would just well up inside of us, God. That we would say, look, I'll do whatever it takes if I have to do this, if I have to do that, if I have to give this up, if I have to give that up. It doesn't matter to me because there's nothing more important than seeing other people reached with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so free that I can subject myself to anything because I'm not free for me. I'm free for you. God, I ask that that would rise up inside us so we would understand the whole reason we were set free from ourselves is so that we could love our brothers with a pure heart and a good conscience. And I thank You for that. In Jesus' name.